a playlist original. How's it, man? And welcome back to another episode of Cheetan Explains. I am your host, Keaton Shetty, and this season we are discussing everything and anything Harry Potter. Last week, myself and our guest, Fatima, for the season, took a deep dive into Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or Harry Potter 1, if you're not going to watch the movies. From here on in the season, I have to give some disclaimers to all of you lovely listeners of the podcast. Number one, each episode will quite literally build on the last, which means you are going to have to listen to episode one and two for any of this to make sense. Picture the story, just keep, you know, khanin on. You will be lost if you're not paying attention to the last two episodes and then this episode. I'm telling you this now, so please be prepared. Number two, I don't think I need to say this considering the movie did come out 20 years ago. My God, that makes me feel weird when I say it out loud. But huge spoilers coming your way. We start with the WB logo, Warner Brothers, and that lovely Harry Potter music that I honestly love so much. Ah! my whole childhood, and boom, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets title screen. We start with the first plot twist of the movie. Harry has a room. He no longer lives in the broom cupboard under the stairs. He's looking at a picture of his parents hugging each other in the snow. And as you know, pictures and paintings in the Harry Potter universe actually move, like one live photo, but all the time, you know? They did this before we did, future thinking. But his owl, Hedwig, is in a cage making noise Well because she's bored. Also, she's a bird in a cage. We cut to the horrible Dursleys downstairs and they are getting ready because Uncle Vernon is about to have some important guests. Like one typical brown family, when guests come, act like we are the perfect family. We also find out that Harry hasn't received any letters from his friends over the holidays. Uncle gives everyone their roles when the guests are to enter and then he looks at Harry who responds with, I'll be in my bedroom making no noise and pretending I don't exist. As Harry walks back into his room and there is this small, childlike creature jumping on his bed. Harry Potter, such an honour it is. We meet Dobby, the house elf. Now, house elves, like I said, are very, very small, quite childlike. Dobby is about half the size of Harry's leg and Harry is an 11-year-old for perspective. Elves also have very pointy ears and very big eyes. They're just very small. Harry says that Dobby should sit down and Dobby freaks out and starts crying because no wizard has ever asked Dobby to sit down, sir. Now this doesn't make sense without some context, so let me give you some. The house elves are slaves to certain wizard families. Dobby says that the house elves were treated like vermin before Harry Potter came along and Dobby is still treated like vermin. Uncle comes up to see what is happening and Harry hides Dobby in the cupboard. And when Dobby comes out of the cupboard, he has a sock on his ear. This is a very important detail for later, so please remember this for me. We also find out that Dobby doesn't really have clothes. He basically wears rags for clothes. And this is because house elves are slaves until they are presented with clothes from their master. And then they are considered their services paid off. They are no longer slaves to this wizard family. Dobby then tells Harry, You must not go to Hogwarts. There is a plot to make bad things happen. But Dobby, Hogwarts is my home. And besides, I haven't even heard from any of my friends. Harry Potter mustn't get upset. But Dobby thought if Harry Potter never got his letters from his friends, he would not go back to school to see them. It was Dobby. Harry wants the letters back. Rightfully so, they are his. But Dobby runs away. Harry chases Dobby down the stairs to the Dursleys and their important guest. Dobby makes a cake start to float and asks Harry to promise that he won't go back to Hogwarts. Harry obviously says no, which leaves Dobby no choice. He makes the cake float towards the guests and drops the cake on them, making it look like it was Harry. 
Dobby snaps his fingers and disappears. Obviously, Uncle blames Harry and his response is to put burglar guards on his windows. Joke's on him because I've had those since I was a child. I could never sneak out. I wonder if my parents did that by design. Oh god, it all makes sense now. Later that night, we see a blue flying car come to Harry's window. It's the Weasleys. Hello, Harry. It's Ron. He and the twins, Fred and George, are here to rescue Harry. They break the bars of the window, but Uncle hears them and tries to stop them. But luckily, the children make a quick escape and they fly off into the distance. Ron then says, oh, and by the way, Harry, happy birthday. We now know that Harry is 12. The next morning, the twins, Ron and Harry, arrive at the Weasley house and they have to sneak in. Well, because they're obviously not allowed to do anything that they did that night. The oldest of the four of them are the twins, who at this point are 14. This is the first time we see a normal house filled with magical things. There is a pair of knitting needles knitting by themselves and even the dishes are washing themselves, which honestly sounds like a dream. And I don't mean like a dishwasher, I mean like the sponge is moving along the plates. But as they walk into the house, where have you been? It's the Weasley mother, Molly, and she is angry, like brown mom angry when you break one of the glasses. Because of all the noise, the youngest, Ginny Weasley, comes downstairs, sees Harry, gets nervous, and runs back upstairs. Now that's a very important detail for later. Not for this movie, but later. We also meet Father Weasley. Now, I'm sorry, I might slip and call them the Weasels. Just so that if I say that, I'm talking about the Weasleys. You see, I almost did it again. But back to the story. Uh, Dad Weasley, his name is Arthur, and he pretends that he isn't impressed with what the boys did last night. Well, of course, his wife is right there, and Molly's a little scary. We also find out that Arthur works for the Ministry of Magic, which is basically the government of all magical things, or the magical government in England. The family and Harry get their Hogwarts letters from Harold, the Weasley family owl, who is a special bird. He flies into windows all the time. The school supplies list is there as well, and there is only one place to get all of this. Diagon Alley, which like I said in episode 1, is like the Westpac of all magical supplies. Everything is there. The family then say they are going to travel via flu powder. Now I know that sounds weird, but just go with it. How it works? You stand in the fireplace, take your flu powder, speak very very clearly, drop your flu powder and burst into flames and travel to your spoken destination. It's genuinely very cool. Now Harry had one job. Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley. What did he say? Diagonally. <sighs> He's acting like he hasn't been there before. He was there last year for his school supplies. But anyway, Harry lines himself in a super dodge part of town where he meets some homeless magical people who clearly want to take advantage of this young fresh wizard. Yes, that sounds weird, but that's exactly what it looks like. They were about to end this boy's career. Now I have a problem with this whole scene. And for numerous reasons, but the main reason is how are there homeless people in the magical world? And just, just hear me out. You can literally build a house for them out of nothing using magic. But that's not the point of the story. It's just something that irks me every time I see it. As Harry is being surrounded by all these magical homeless people, which again, how are they homeless? But that's just an opinion. Hagrid comes to the rescue the half-giant bearded man from the first movie. He asks Harry what he was doing in Nocturne Alley, which is a special place that I need you to remember for future episodes. He takes Harry and they meet up with Hermione Granger and the Weasleys. Now they are at a bookstore to get the children their textbooks for the year, and we meet the funniest person in this movie, Gilderoy Lockhart. 
He's a famous wizard and he has done some amazing things and from those amazing things he wrote books. And in this bookstore he's doing a book signing for meet and greet and you know people and he's just, he's there, he's great, he's funny. He takes a picture with Harry because obviously everyone knows who the famous Harry Potter is but they are not the only ones in the bookstore. Draco Malfoy, professional rich kid and part-time spy is watching them. Draco is being, well, Draco, when all of a sudden, Malfoy Sr., Lucius, Draco's father, appears as well. Now, remember that I said that Arthur Weasley works for the Ministry of Magic, which again is basically the magical government in England. And so Lucius, being a very powerful, influential, rich man, works with them. He's very close to the head of the ministry and people in the Department of Magic and things like that. He doesn't work for them, but he works with them. Lucius speaks to Harry about his scar, and Voldemort's name is mentioned, obviously, because Voldemort gave him that scar. And Lucius says that Harry must be very brave to mention the Dark Lord's name, to which Hermione replies, fear of the name only increases fear of the thing itself. We also get to see that both Hermione's parents are in Diagon Alley with the Weasleys, but they are muggles, non-magic folk. They're normal people. They just gave birth to a witch. And Lucius does not like the mixture of magic and non-magic blood. He's kind of racist when you think about it. He even tells Arthur that he is disgracing them by spending time with muggles. Also, also, Lucius and Arthur clearly do not like each other, which is understandable for Arthur because Lucius doesn't like poverty and the Weasleys are, you know, poor. So Lucius attacks their family for no reason and obviously Arthur defends his family. But anyway, one last thing. Lucius looks at Ginny's textbook. He takes a long look at it and he puts it back into her bag, which isn't a bag at all. It's a witch's cauldron. That's what they use. It's really, really cool. I love the design choice. It's, it's just so cool. But that is also a very important detail for later. <sighs> that was a lot. I hope you're still with me, though. We cut to the family and Harry rushing to get to the Hogwarts train and the family get to platform nine and three quarters. Harry and Ron are the last to run through the entrance, but when they do, all of a sudden the wall is solid and the boys just slam into it. It's, it's, it's a cuck funny scene, I'm not gonna lie. But they miss the train and they need to make a plan. But wait a second, don't the Weasleys own a flying car? They take the car and they start flying to Hogwarts. Again, also important to mention that both of them are 12. Also, this car has an invisible mode or invisibility mode, very much like Harry's cloak, but that's purely just so that muggles don't see them. Later that night, they are arriving at Hogwarts, but they lose control of the car and it almost crashes. Ron tries to do something to hopefully slow down the car, but he breaks his wand. Now, please remember this for later because it's just funny and it's, it's just great. But they land in a tree. Now, this is Harry Potter. There is no such thing as a normal tree. This tree is called the Wamping Willow and it is a very, very angry tree. It is also a very, very important tree for the series moving forward. It tries to break the car and eventually drops it to the ground with them in it and then tries to smash the car. It's just, it's got anger issues. The car, understandably annoyed with these rubbish children, kicks them out, throws the bags at them and flies away. They try and sneak into the castle because they are obviously late, but they get caught by Filch and his kitty, Mrs. Norris. Now, Filch is like a really angry, grumpy janitor at Hogwarts. And I purely think that's because he knows that they can clean the entire castle magically, but they still make him do it because he can't do magic and I would be angry as well. But anyway, he takes them to Professor Severus Snape, who says that they were seen by seven muggles, and he tells them, were you in Slytherin, I would have you expelled. 
Luckily, they are not in Slytherin, replies Dumbledore. So it's up to McGonagall to punish them, as she is head of Gryffindor House. And because Harry is not the chosen one, he is in fact the lucky one, McGonagall gives them detention and writes to Molly and Arthur that the boys are safe and just telling them what happened, you know, with the car and the Wampin Willow and what, what, what. We have our first class of the year, Herbology, which is biology, but just for plants, with Professor Sprout. Ironic, isn't it? The plant we're working with today is called mandrake, and mandrake root can be used to cure someone who has been petrified. Petrified, being so scared to the point of being frozen. Not dead, they are just completely frozen in fear. Petrified. Also, a fully grown mandrake scream can kill someone. So we're gonna work with your baby, who can also scream, but they'll just knock you out. Now, Neville Longbottom is also in this class, and Neville being, you know, Neville, he's, yeah, he faints. We cut to the dining hall where we see some of the ghosts wandering around greeting the kids. Nearly headless Nick is, I want to say walking, but technically he's floating. We also see Ron trying to fix his wand with some tape. Because remember, it snapped in two and it broke. Because clearly, you know, tape is going to work. We also meet this boy named Colin, who is the new Gryffindor photographer, and he is obsessed with Harry. Now, Ron gets a letter from his mother, and in Harry Potter, the universe, when you get a letter, normally the letter reads itself to you. This letter is called a howler. Now, a howler is a letter that screams how angry Molly was when she wrote it. It's like when your mom messages you in all caps, but she's also screaming through the phone at the same time. You know, same, same. The letter also congratulates Ginny on making Gryffindor House. Our next class is Defense Against the Dark Arts, taught by none other than Gilderoy Lockhart, the funniest man alive. He has a painting of himself, painting himself, painting himself. It's the perfect way to show his vanity, because remember, paintings in Harry Potter can move. So they all just look at each other. Also, the girls really love him a lot. And I'm not saying he's George Clooney good looking. I'm not even saying he's good looking. But the girls love him. The students, I don't know. And for their first class, he unleashes the Pixies, who are like small, blue, big-eyed pigeon-like creatures. They are just so annoying. And all they do is cause chaos. And because of this, we see that Lockhart is just bad at magic. So much so that he leaves the trio, Ron, Hermione, and Harry, to deal with the Pixies while he runs to the back of his class. The Pixies take Neville and hang him from the ceiling, but Hermione saves the day with Immobilis, a spell that stuns all the Pixies. Neville looks at the trio and asks them, why is it always me? A couple of days later, we see the Gryffindor Quidditch team walking to the field so that they can practice, but they are intercepted by the Slytherin team who have preference on the fields today because they have to train their new seeker. Who could it be? It's Malfoy! Yay! Lucius Malfoy bought the Slytherin team new broomsticks, so they kind of had to let Draco join the team, you know? Because, rich kid. Hermione calls this out and says at least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way in, and Draco calls her a filthy little mudblood. Now, Ron gets angry, obviously, and tries to cast a spell on Malfoy, but his wand is broken, remember, and it kind of backfires and curses himself instead. Harry and Hermione take Ron to Hagrid to maybe get some help, and we find out that mudblood is a term for mixed wizard. It means dirty blood. It's just mean. Some wizards, like the Malfoys, believe that pure-blooded wizards are better, which sounds a lot like World War II Germany, but mm, okay. Also, it's important to note that the Malfoys are one of the few pure-blooded wizard families left, which just shows how racist they are. But Hermione is the bestest. She always saves the day. She just saved the day with the pixies. 
We then cut to Harry serving his detention where he has to help Lockhart sign his fan mail. And I don't know how to say that without it sounding strange, but this really just paints the picture of who Lockhart is and why I think he's so funny. While he's answering the mail, Harry hears a voice in his head. Come to me. But Lockhart can't hear it. It's in Harry's head, obviously. Harry leaves and he hears the voice again in the walls and he follows it and it says, Kill, 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 kill. He runs into Ron and Hermione who can't hear it either. But they see this line of spiders going out the window. They are in a hurry, but they're in a line like ants. And Ron doesn't like spiders. The trio see water on the floor and in the reflection written in blood on the wall, the chamber of secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. Now, not the air you breathe, H-E-I-R, that air. Next to this is a petrified Mrs. Norris, not the kitty. And as per usual, the whole village comes to see what's happened and they see the trio standing in front of the crime scene, which is a tiny bit suspicious. Dumbledore says that everyone needs to go back to their common rooms except for the trio because they were there. Lockhart enters and says, luckily I wasn't here. I know just the counter curse that could have spared her. And the weirdest part of the situation, Snape actually vouches for the trio. And remember, he does not like Harry in the best of times. And he was saying that it could have just been wrong place, wrong time. I know, I was just as shocked as you are the first time I saw it. Lockhart also agrees because he tells them Harry was signing fan mail with him. Now remember, what can Mandrake Root be used for? That's right, to cure petrification. The kitty will be fine. You don't have to stress. But the trio decide not to tell anyone that Harry is hearing voices because even in the wizarding world, hearing voices is a bad sign. Our next class is with McGonagall and Hermione asks if McGonagall can tell them about the Chamber of Secrets. McGonagall says that we all know that Hogwarts was founded by the four greatest wizards of the age. Godric Gryffindor, Rowena Ravenclaw, Halga Hufflepuff and Salazar Slytherin. Now three of the founding four worked quite well together, while one of them did not. I wonder who that was. Salazar wanted to be more selective with the students that were allowed into Hogwarts, so he left. But before he did, he built a secret chamber and sealed it so that one day the heir could return and punish those who, in Salazar Slytherin's view, are unworthy to study magic. Muggle-born witches and wizards. We still have no idea what's inside the chamber, only that it's a monster that only the heir of Slytherin can control. The trio's prime suspect on who the heir could be is Malfoy, and rightfully so. Draco is racist, he's obnoxious, he's just a rubbish thing, and he also hates Muggleborn and particularly Hermione. But they have to find a way to get him to confess. To do that, Hermione finds something called Polyjuice Potion, which is very, very important for these movies and for the rest of the series, so please remember it for future episodes. But Polyjuice Potion allows you to turn into any one of your choosing. You need some ingredients, which are easy to get, but most importantly, you need a hair of the person you want to turn into. The trio can use this to get information from Malfoy. If they turn into Slytherins, boom. Only one problem. The potion will take about a month to brew. And in that time, Harry says that Malfoy could attack half the Muggleborn in the school by then. But it's the best chance they have, so we have to sit and wait. In the meantime, we have a Quidditch match. It's Gryffindor versus Slytherin. Quidditch is the flying broomstick sport of the first movie. It's a mixture between basketball, dodgeball, and soccer, but everyone is on a flying broomstick. There are bludgers, which are tr things that 
try to knock everyone off their broom. And then there is the golden snitch, the thing that Harry and Malfoy, the Seekers, have to catch. Now, remember those broomsticks that Lucius bought for the Slytherin team? Well, they are very fast and then making it much easier for Slytherin. But Harry and Draco see the golden snitch and the chase is on. But someone has tampered with a bludger. It chases only Harry and by extension, now Malfoy, because they're both going in the same direction. During the chase, Malfoy falls off his broom and Lucius is watching this like, Hoyo again, this bloody disappointment. Harry falls forward and is just able to catch the snitch, but the bludger is still coming for him. It almost slams straight into his body, almost killing him. But Hermione comes to the rescue and pretty much disintegrates the bludger. Note to self, Hermione is a very, very scary 12-year-old girl. It's not over though, because Harry, bless his heart, broke his arm when he landed. Ironically, Lockhart is first to the scene and says he can fix it. And even Harry is like, please, no, anyone but you, please. Lockhart insists and does technically fix the broken arm by making all the bones in Harry's arm disappear. At least he's pretty flexible now and the bone technically isn't broken. But that means that young Mr. Potter has to spend the night in the hospital wing due to his newfound flexibility. He needs to have the bones regrown, basically. That night, Harry hears the voice again in the walls, in the roof actually. Kill, kill, kill. He looks forward and surprised to see, hello, it's Dobby. And Harry does not look too happy. It doesn't help that Dobby was the one who stopped the boys from getting onto the platform earlier and cursed the bludger to target Harry. But Dobby felt terrible. Dobby had to iron his hands. And Harry is like, listen, dude, I'm going to strangle you if you don't leave. Dobby is used to death threats, sir. Dobby receives them nine times a day. I need you to remember that Dobby is treated like ass by his wizard family. It's very important. The two of them hear people coming into the hospital wing and before Dobby disappears, he tells Harry, Hogwarts is not safe now that history is to repeat itself. Harry pretends to be asleep while Dumbledore, McGonagall and the nurse brings another petrified patient into the hospital wing. It's Colin, the photographer kid, and he's holding his camera. Uh, maybe he got a picture of his attacker, but when Dumbledore tries to open the camera to access the film, the camera kind of explodes. Small, small explosion, nothing too serious. Dumbledore tells McGonagall that our students are no longer safe. The chamber has been opened again. Fast forward a bit and the famous trio are brewing the polyjuice potion in the middle of the day in the girls' bathroom. Well, one of the girls' bathroom that no one uses. And Ron asks the same question, like, how are we going to do this and not get caught if we do this in the middle of the day in the middle of the bathroom? Hermione explains, well, it's because of Moaning Myrtle. Now, Moaning Myrtle is one of those ghosts that wander the castle, only she stays in the bathroom. All she does is mope and moan the whole day, hence Moaning Myrtle. She's also very, very angry, and that's why people don't like coming to this bathroom. Our next class is with Lockhart and Snape. How to duel. Lockhart and Snape are to demonstrate to the students what happens when you duel. One-on-one -on -one wizard battle. They need to teach the students how to protect themselves because of the recent events. Snape embarrasses Lockhart, who acts like that was all part of the plan. Perhaps we should let the students work on this practically. Lockhart chooses Harry and Snape chooses Malfoy. A battle for the ages. Malfoy makes a snake appear mid-battle, and the snake is about to attack a student that's watching, but Harry starts speaking to the snake. Now, we already know that Harry can speak to snakes. He demonstrated this in the first movie in the first episode. Only this time, we can't understand him. No one can. 
And because of that, it made it look like he wanted the snake to attack this child. We find out that those who can speak to snakes are called parcel mouth, and they speak in parcel tongue. It must be common, right? No, it's very rare. And one more thing. Salazar Slytherin could speak to snakes. That would make Harry the prime suspect to be the heir of Slytherin. And if you remember from episode one, when Harry was being sorted into his house, he was almost put in Slytherin. I wonder why. It's also important to note that because of Salazar's ability and Slytherin and things like that, the symbol for Slytherin is a snake. Everyone is looking at Harry like he has the plague. Must be so hard going from fame to shame. Ah, the life of a celebrity. Harry is walking alone when he hears the voices again in the walls. He's following the voice, determined to catch it, but he runs into a petrified, nearly headless Nick, one of the ghosts, and another student who has been petrified. Filch catches Harry and obviously thinks it's him. McGonagall takes Harry to Dumbledore's office where he sees Fawkes, a very, very pretty old red bird who bursts into flames and just randomly dies for a couple of seconds, don't worry. See, Fawkes is a phoenix and when he reaches a time in his life, he bursts into flames and is reborn from the ashes. We also learn that a phoenix has healing tears that can pretty much heal anything and that a phoenix can carry very heavy loads. Dumbledore knows that it's not Harry, something is happening, but if Harry has anything to tell him, he should tell him now. Harry decides not to say anything about the voice he is hearing. A month has passed, which means that the Polyjuice Potion is finally done. All they need now are the hairs. Now Hermione has hers, she collected hers a really long time ago because, well, she's smart, but the boys need to get theirs. Now, there are these two students who follow Malfoy around like henchmen. They are Crab and Goyle. So Harry and Ron knock these two boys out and take one of their hairs each. The trio take their potion and start turning into their respective Slytherin house members. But Hermione gets sick and tells the boys to go ahead because she's about to vomit. She's not going to make it. We're in the Slytherin... Hmm. We're in the Slytherin common room and Harry and Ron, as Goyle and Crab respectively, are talking to Malfoy to see if he knows anything. Malfoy doesn't really know much about what has happened currently or who the heir could be. But his father did tell him something. It's been 50 years since the chamber was opened. He wouldn't tell me who opened it, only that they were expelled. But the last time the chamber was opened, a mudblood died. As for me, I hope it's Granger. Again, this is some racist activity of the highest level. Man, the boy starts to turn back into themselves and they need to leave before they get caught. They manage to get out of the common room and get back to Hermione as they turn back into themselves to tell her everything. But remember, she was feeling sick. That's because she accidentally got cat hair instead of human hair. And well, the results were not exactly kind to her. She turned into a half human, half cat thing. Yeah. I mean, Myrtle was laughing. So, you know, someone was happy at least. A couple days go by and Harry notices that the same girl's bathroom was flooding. There's just water everywhere. He sees on the floor a black hardcover diary in the water and like any normal child he picks it up and thinks this will make a nice addition to my stationery bro. Now something very important to mention before I go further. Every time we have stumbled upon a petrified victim there has always been spiders like moving out of the window in a line. They kind of look like ants but they are getting out of that castle now. They do not want to be there. Just remember that. So back to the diary. The diary is completely blank and on the back page, or towards the end, it says Tom Marvolo Riddle. That's probably who it belonged to. Harry starts to write something in the diary and the ink completely disappears. 
no trace. So Harry's like, I don't want to be rude. Let me introduce myself. He writes, my name is Harry Potter, to which the book writes back. Hello, Harry. My name is Tom Riddle. Harry responds, do you know anything about the Chamber of Secrets? Yes. Can you tell me? No. But I can show you. Let me take you back 50 years ago. The pages flip to the middle of the book and a date appears, June 13th. Just then, the book sucks Harry into it in a ball of light and we fall into a black and white Hogwarts. Clearly a memory of the past preserved in the diary. No one can see or hear Harry. We see a student who has been killed and Tom is watching them take the body away. Dumbledore calls Riddle and asks him if he knows anything. Mr. Riddle says he doesn't. But Tom goes straight to Hagrid, who was in school at Hogwarts 50 years ago. Tom knows it was Hagrid's pet who killed the girl. Aragog cannot be left to live, Tom says to Hagrid. Tom tries to kill this pet, but jumps out of the box and runs through the castle to escape. Now, Aragog is a spider. His species is called Acromantula, which isn't important when you see a giant spider, you just want to go in the opposite direction. And when we see Aragog here 50 years ago, he's about the size of a cat or a small dog. Pretty big for a spider, so I would go in the opposite direction. Just saying. Just then, the book sucks Harry back into the real world and spits him out. Just to recap, 50 years ago when the chamber was opened, Hagrid was actually blamed and he was expelled. They took his wand away from him forever, and which means that there's nothing stopping them from blaming Hagrid again. The next day, Neville comes to tell the trio that someone has completely destroyed the Gryffindor common room. They were looking for the diary, and they took it. A couple days go past and McGonagall escorts the boys to the hospital wing. Another person has been petrified and oh no, it's Hermione and she was holding a hand mirror. Oh, the vanity of the youth these days. McGonagall also tells the boys that if the person responsible is not caught, then Hogwarts will have to close. The boys need to know what's going on, so one night they grab Harry's invisibility cloak and head to Hagrid for some answers, who opens the door with a crossbow. Hagrid is clearly expecting some bad company tonight, and he is not above using non-magical methods. They ask if he knows anything, but before he can respond, there is a knock on the door. Harry and Ron get back under the cloak and Dumbledore and Cornelius Fudge, head of the Ministry of Magic, come in. They have no choice but to take Hagrid to Azkaban, because like I said, there's no reason to not blame him this time. He was the prime suspect last time. And now Azkaban is a super max magical prison for the, I want to say criminally insane, but more like magically insane, more or less. Think, think Arkham Asylum, but all wizards. Lucius Malfoy comes into the hut as well. He hands Dumbledore an order of suspension signed by 12 governing magical families. Dumbledore is suspended as headmaster and is no longer allowed on Hogwarts grounds. Hagrid obviously knows the boys are under the cloak and before he is taken, he says, if anyone would like to find anything, they should uh, follow the spiders. Ron's reply to that is priceless. Follow the spiders? Why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? He hates spiders. I mean, let's be real, who doesn't? Now, remember all those spiders were fleeing the castle in a straight line? Well, it's time to follow those same spiders into the dark forest. Yes, because two 12-year-old boys are going to be very helpful in the dark forest at night. At the end of the pathway of spiders, we meet the king of all spiders, 
Aragog, who is alive, and 50 years ago he was quite small. Now he's roughly the size of a taxi, South African taxi, minibus taxi, not yellow taxi. He's pretty big. He's pretty scary as well. Harry tells Aragog that they're friends of Hagrid and everyone thinks it's Hagrid who opened the chamber and killed that girl. That's a lie. Hagrid never opened the chamber. That monster was born in the castle and that's what killed that girl 50 years ago. The girl was discovered in a bathroom. I need you to remember that. That same girl that Tom was watching them take away, she was discovered in a bathroom. Aragog never saw the inside of the castle, but that monster is something that all spiders fear. As he's speaking to the boys, Ron notices that the other spiders are coming very, very close to them, and Harry decides, well, it's time to go. Go! My children do not harm Hagrid on my command, but I cannot deny them fresh meat when it wanders so willingly into our home. Goodbye, friends of Hagrid. The boys are about to die. There are a minimum of 300 to 400 of these giant spiders coming to chow them, my bro. But wait. The car comes to the rescue, the flying one, the blue one. Very confused car this is, but at least we know it loves them. We also know, more importantly, that Hagrid is innocent. One night, after their whole, you know, near-death experience, well, in, in the most recent near-death experience, Harry is sitting with a petrified Hermione and sees that she was holding a piece of paper in her hand and she was clenching it. It's a page and on it, it says Basilisk and it's a description and there's a picture of it. It reads that spiders flee from it, it can live up to hundreds of years at a time, and instant death to anyone who gazes directly into its eyes. And the basilisk is a giant snake. And on the piece of paper, Hermione wrote down pipes. The basilisk has been going through the pipes, and that's the voice that Harry has been hearing in the walls. That's why he can hear it. It's a giant snake. He's not going mad, he must be so excited. Ron asks a pretty valid question. But if it kills anyone who looks at it, how come no one is dead? Well, that's because no one did look at it. At least not directly. Let's break it down. Colin, the photographer kid, saw it through his camera. So, cool, he didn't get a full blast. The other guy got blasted straight through nearly headless Nick. Nick must have taken the full blast of the eyes. Hermione had the mirror, remember? Willing to bet my life, she was checking corners with that mirror. And then Mrs. Norris... Well, the kitty? She can't use a mirror. But remember that night there was water on the floor? She saw the reflection of the eyes. She only got a reflected blast. Harry then asks, Remember that girl who died in the bathroom? What if she never left? The boys don't get too far when they overhear McGonagall talking in the corridors ahead of them. The professors are gathering and in walks Lockhart. Sorry, dozed off. What did I miss? My favourite line in the whole movie. McGonagall tells them that a girl has been taken into the chamber. It's Ginny Weasley. McGonagall assigns Lockhart to go into the chamber to rescue her because he's been boasting that he knows where the chamber has been all along and he can do this. The boys, obviously knowing what's going on, head straight to Lockhart's office to tell them what they know because they need to get Ginny out of that chamber. But Lockhart is packing his bags. He gon' leave. Why? Mans is a fraud. He never actually did anything that he said he did in his books, but he's very good with memory charms. So he wiped the memory of the wizards who did all those great things and told it as his own stories. Now, the boys take Lockhart hostage because, as we know, Lockhart is pretty much useless with magic, so he's not going to stand a chance against the two of them. 
So they take him hostage and they take him to the bathroom where Monin Myrtle is just chilling. She was the girl that died in the bathroom all those years ago. Harry asks how she died and she says, I don't know. I just saw a big pair of yellow eyes over there by that sink and then poof. Harry walks to the sink and he sees a small snake carved into the tap. This is the entrance. Harry speaks some parcel tongue to the sink. Ah, oh, gotta love a boy who's bilingual, hey? And the sink opens up into a tunnel that slides down into the chamber. Lockhart goes first. They force him to make sure that it's safe for them. He lands, he's cool. Then the boys, and we are in the real entrance of the chamber. They walk and they come to a giant snake skin, which gives you a bit of reference to how big this basilisk is. For your reference, picture the length of like a seven to 10 story building. It's pretty big. This basilisk is huge. Remember, Harry's 12. What is he gonna do? Lockhart pretends to faint at the sight of the snake. Heart of a lion, this one. But he takes Ron's wand as he wakes up and tries to wipe the memories of the boys so that he can tell the story of how he tried to save them. But remember that Ron's wand is kind of broken and has been held together by a piece of tape. So the spell kind of backfires and sends Lockhart flying into the wall and causes a cave-in, separating Harry and Ron by some huge rocks. Harry's on his own going forward, and he comes to a giant door with snakes as part of the locking mechanism. He knows the key. Let's speak some parcel tongue, Maru. And the doors to the Chamber of Secrets open. As Harry enters the chamber, he sees Ginny on the floor on the other side of the chamber. Now, just a description of the chamber. The chamber is one long corridor with water on each side, and there are faces with like open mouths and things like that. Felix that the basilisk can come in and out, but it's just a long chamber. He sees Ginny on the floor and he runs to her. Someone is standing next to her. <gasps> it's Tom Riddle. He takes Harry's wand and just looks at Harry. We find out that Tom is not actually real. He's just a memory that was preserved in the diary. Just like how Harry went there, the memory can come out as well. Uh, it's purely so that he could come back technically as a memory and finish what Salazar Slytherin started and what Tom started all those years ago. He uses Harry's wands and draws his name into the air in front of them. The air we breathe, not H-E-I-R air. I know it's confusing, which is why I'm telling you. Tom Marvolo Riddle. He waves his wand and the letters rearrange themselves. I am Lord Voldemort. Giant red flag to all you girls that thought Tom was dreamy. Giant red flag. Also important to note, in case it did, we didn't make that connection, Tom Riddle, Voldemort, he is the actual heir of Slytherin. Tom reveals that he was the one controlling Ginny. He made her write those messages on the wall and destroy the common room because, let's be real, no one would suspect the first year. But the book was starting to scare her, so she threw it into the girls' bathroom. And who should find it but young Mr. Potter? He knew that if he showed Harry something about Hagrid, it would lead Harry straight to the chamber. And now that Dumbledore is gone, nothing can stop the power of Lord Voldemort. Now Harry says a very important line that will be connected throughout the rest of the season of the podcast and the rest of the movies in general. He says, Dumbledore will never be gone as long as there are those who remain loyal to him. Please remember this line. As he says that, we see Fawkes, the phoenix, flying in and he drops that same sorting hat that puts everyone into their houses. And Tom is like, oh, you bring a hat to a magic fight, I'll sound you. And he calls upon the basilisk. Parcel tongue cannot save you now, Potter. It only answers to me. 
Harry has no choice but to run with his eyes closed. Otherwise, he's pretty much dead. He trips, and I mean, I would too. So I give him the benefit of the doubt. But we see Fawkes kind of claw out and rip out the eyes of the Basilisk to at least give Harry a fighting chance. So, you know, he can at least look at the thing he's fighting. I'd also just like to point out that this was a children's movie where the main character was 12. This is a pretty violent scene. I just thought I'd add that. The Basilisk may not be able to see, but it can still hear you, and the chase is on. Harry runs deeper into the chamber and is able to double back to the unconscious Ginny and Tom, who's, you know, just chilling there. As the Basilisk bursts into view, we see something shiny in the hat. It is a very cool red and silver sword. Harry now has a weapon. He gets to higher ground so he can at least fight the Basilisk face to face. He has the high ground. Again, I'd also just like to point out, again, that this boy is 12. But anyway, as the fight continues and rages on, the Basilisk lunges forward to eat Harry, but Harry stabs upward the serpent into its mouth. But it was one for one. As the Basilisk falls, one of its fangs is stuck in Harry's leg. He's been poisoned. Now, normal people would, you know, look back and think about their lives, would, you know, wait for help. Cool. No, not Harry. He takes the fang from his leg, looks at Tom Riddle and stabs the diary. Now, he didn't know this would work at the time when he stabbed it, but hey, happy accident. As he stabs the diary, black ink oozes from the pages and a light scar appears on Tom's chest, almost ripping him in two. Harry stabs the diary again and again and again till eventually Tom bursts into light and ash, leaving the remains of Tom Riddle's diary. Ginny wakes up and remembers that something was controlling her, Harry is trying to comfort her, but he did just fight a basilisk and take a fang to the leg. He's going through a lot. He also saw Tom Riddle. It's just a lot for, for a 12-year-old kid. But Fawkes comes to the rescue. He cries over Harry's leg and heals it. Remember, the tears of a phoenix can heal pretty much anything. Fawkes then carries Harry, Ron, Ginny, and Lockhart out of the cave. Double remember, phoenixes can carry very heavy loads. We cut to Dumbledore's office and Dumbledore is back. He tells Harry that only true loyalty could have called Fawkes into the chamber. Because of the whole talking to snakes thing that Harry has been, you know, going through, he's very conflicted about whether or not he should be in Gryffindor because the sorting at was going to put him into Slytherin. And Dumbledore tells him that the night he got that scar, Voldemort must have transferred some of his powers into Harry. And if you're still confused, Dumbledore asks him to take a look at the sword that he pulled in the chamber. We look at it and it's the sword of Godric Gryffindor. And Dumbledore says it would take a true Gryffindor to pull that one out of a hat. But as if he could sense joy in the air, Lucius Malfoy walks into the office clearly annoyed that Dumbledore is back in action. Dumbledore reveals that Lucius was threatening the families in order to sign that suspension letter. As Lucius is speaking, we see that Dobby is behind him. He serves the Malfoys? That's why he was so mistreated. He serves a racist family. Dumbledore reveals to Lucius that it was Voldemort. Only this time, he chose to act through the diary and through the actions of a young girl. But thankfully, Harry was there. Lucius looks at Harry and says, Well, let's hope Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. To which Harry replies, Don't worry, I will be. Lucius walks out and Harry looks at the diary and asks Dumbledore if he can borrow that for some reason. He takes the diary and runs to Lucius and says, I think you forgot that. 
He says that Lucius put it in Jenny's cauldron that day in the bookstore in Diagon Alley. Full circle. Brilliant story, Tully. Lucius obviously is too good to hand anything back to peasants, so he gives it to Dobby to give back to Harry. Such a long process, but anyway. Dobby opens the book and inside is a sock. Master has given Dobby a sock. Harry pulls up his pants leg to show that he's not wearing a sock. Master has presented Dobby with clothes. Dobby is free. Lucius clearly angry looking at Harry. You cost me my servant. He walks towards Harry with his wand out ready to kill this child. But Dobby stands in between them. You will not harm Harry Potter and blasts Lucius to the end of the corridor. Now just remember that when you present a house elf with clothes, that is his sign of freedom. That's why I said that in the earlier. And remember, that's why he had a sock on his ear because Harry gave him a sock. Brilliant storytelling, I love it. We cut to the dining hall and we have a surprise for everyone. Everyone who has been petrified has been cured thanks to Madame Sprout and her mandrake root. Love it, everyone's fine, Hermione is there. But more importantly, Hagrid is back. Now he's a bit late to dinner because remember Harold, that special Weasley owl? Yeah, Harold was the one delivering the letters to Azkaban, so obviously he was late. The movie ends with Hagrid in the middle of the room with all the students clapping for him. I'm not sure why that's how it ends, but that's how it ends. And so ends the tale of another year at Hogwarts. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to this episode and last week's episode and our first episode. But if you haven't already, please go and listen to episode one and two. They will provide context for this. We will do deep dives, discussions and things like that. You'll also get to hear from our guest for the season. So please, if you haven't, please go listen to those episodes. Next week's episode will be with Fatima again, the same one from last week's episode. She will be here this entire season. She's not going anywhere. We're going to do a deep dive into Chamber of Secrets. But if you cannot wait till then and you feel like you just want to hear my voice or see my face again, you can find me on YouTube, Instagram and TikTok at Cheatonketty. C-H-E-A-T-O-N-K-E-T-T-Y. No caps, no space. And I'll see you, so to speak, in the next episode. Bye, everyone.